HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. April, so happy to be sitting down for another episode of Culinary Call Sheet. This particular episode, we are meeting with Fabienne Toback and Karis Jagger of Hey Sista. They are friends, partners, and the creators of the television series High on the Hog. And they were also one of our dream guests when we first started talking about doing this show, and we just put together our wish list of who we wanted to have on. I mean, in 2021, there really wasn't a place that you couldn't hear about High on the Hog. It was awarded a Peabody Award. It was awarded an NAACP Image Award, an AAFCA Award for Best Documentary Series. What they've done, both building a career step by step and then also licensing this incredible book and turning it into a TV show is really inspiring. Right. So a lot of the focus today is on intellectual property, which is a work or creation that somebody has the rights to, which they can patent, copyright, trademark, etc. So in this industry, a lot of TV series, television shows, podcasts, and entertainment in general, people seek out this intellectual property that already exists to tell it in another medium. And this was a space that hadn't had a ton of light shined on it before, and at least not to this level not to this elevated and massive public level at a time when people were really looking around to hear different and varied stories. Mm. And if you knew about American food history and you knew about even global food history, the story existed in different pockets. I mean, obviously, Dr. Harris's book gathered it together, but in some ways, it's not easy for the majority of people to digest. It's also a book that had been out for almost a decade before the show even launched. So people may have not been aware of it. People are really diving into the bigger stories behind food. And this is a great place to do that in that intellectual property, to see that culture, to see the history. This is a historic book. It gives a breakdown on Black culture, African-American culture, African culture as it pertains to culinary history. So it makes sense that we would see this now on a bigger platform. You know, when this started in the early days, it was so fun to just see the recipes and see how things were made and what other chefs did. That's the great thing about taking an idea or taking IP and turning it into a show 
when networks are looking for that concept that they're going to eventually invest time and money and resources over other projects, you're not just bringing the show to them. You're also in a perfect world bringing the community of who's going to watch it, who's going to respond to it, who's going to write about it. Who are the people that are going to help you translate it? Yes. Learn the story. Learn the people behind it. Let's present it to you in a new way. And I think what's special also about intellectual property is that where there is a place that is underrepresented or where there is a place that you're hungry for a story, Mm -hmm. when you see somebody else who's already sort of started that or taken that first step for you, it's easier to back them up and to sort of change that viewpoint. And I think High on the Hog received so much acclaim because people were hungry for that story. And they really got to tell it with passion. And people were like, yes, this is how we change what we're able to see on television. I mean, food is still very niche. As broad as it's gotten, to really get into the story of it and to make people understand and then care about it, you have to broaden those things out. You try to find, at least for me, this through line to the rest of the world, right? As we're talking about intellectual property and we're talking about taking these stories and making them something at the very base of them, they just need to have that human relation, mm. right? We're all trying to strike the same chords, essentially, to move people, to make them feel nostalgic, cathartic, angry sometimes, happy, held, comforted. And intellectual property is valuable because it shows you something that you can relate to already. And you get to shine a light on that and expand it. But what's so inspiring about the partnership between Karis and Fabian is that they really have a great working relationship and they respect each other. And then you see that respect translated into their crew and the end result being a beautiful show that everyone watches. But it starts with that core partnership, starts with that understanding and that, that shared respect between two people who are just trying to make content in a world where there's endless amounts of content and have that content breakthrough. Absolutely. And you see like, this theme of relational work repeated in this episode. And I think that that's something that we've embraced, like finding the right people to work with and understanding why that's important and who the people you work with when you build these stories will parlay and play into licensing intellectual property. These are passion projects. And that is something, you know, we're going to go over with these ladies. All right, you want to do this? Always. Well, we're so excited to sit down with Karis and Fabian of Hey Sista. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Well, hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. We're excited. We are too. We're excited to hear what's happening in your lives since season one of High on the Hog has come out to wide acclaim and success. We're really good. I mean, it's, you know, we're we're in the midst of shooting our second season. Hey. Um, Yeah. Super, we're super excited. Thank um, you. It's been great, you know, that it's the first season has had such high acclaim and mm. that it's so well received. Uh, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, the end. <laughs> I think when we finished the first season, it seems like it's been so long ago. So now it feels like an eternity since we mm. first pitched the show. And then to get to the point where we're actually shooting the second season. It feels like a lot has happened and a lot of time has gone by. I mean, we finished shooting this at the at the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. And we all know how pandemic time has made us feel. Everything is everything yes. is confusing. You don't know if it was yesterday or 20 years ago that 
stuff happened. That's so true. I want to go back a little bit to the very beginning. How did you two meet? Did you guys know from the jump that you were going to be partners in business or was it just looking for another friend in a chapter of your life? Harris would say she was definitely not looking for a new friend. <laughs> Lady. We, 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 were, we met in pregnancy yoga uh, a gajillion years ago and our kids went to school together and we're just like volunteering as room parents, just doing these like crazy, like elaborate yearbooks and planning these crazy parties. At a certain point, I think the kids were like in fourth grade or something. We were just like, why are we expending all this creative energy to like these people who don't really give a shit? <laughs> <laughs> and let's do something that we're passionate about. And we've always been passionate uh, about film. So that's mm. kind of. That was kind of the jumping off point. I want to say like it's a very interesting time to meet someone because you're you're weirdly pregnant, like you're at your most vulnerable, but you're also at your strongest. And so it's just like a very special time to to meet someone. And then, you know, we would like, you know, be in each other's houses, like exhausted, laughing, crying, you know. It was it was a lot of that. So we we bring a lot of that to our relationship and to our working relationship. A lot of crying. A lot of a lot of crying. Lot of <laughs> <laughs> that jump from friends to business partners and working together is an interesting one and not always a successful story. Did you have to draw boundaries or have put a, a friendship slash business partner charter in place? to know what the parameters were of your relationship as it evolved. We're super different people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, think they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, Harris. <laughs> well, ironically that I'm speaking, Fabi's like very outgoing. I don't like to meet people or really talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of created a really nice balance and we really have grown a lot as, as business partners um, and as also as individuals. And I think, you know, it's a game of patience, but also of accepting. And there's a lot of give and take. And I think it makes for a really solid partnership. And we mm. laugh. We have a lot of fun. Like we, <laughs> at this point, there's like a shorthand and we sure. joke a lot about like that we're, we're actually one brain. We complement each other in that way. She might be mm. less outgoing, but I'm, I get much more emotional and teary-eyed. And I'm super grateful for the, the, the partnership and feel very blessed and lucky. It's very beautiful. I think we give each other a lot of space. And I think that's also comes with maturity. And I think that, you know, we probably talk every day and say, if you feel really strongly about this, okay, we'll do it, you know, and we always say that to each other so that if you do feel strongly about it, you know, the other person, you know, backs you up. We bicker a lot too. <laughs> you have to, if you're close to somebody. Yeah. Especially in any sort of production, whether it's like you're unofficial with the kids or like official when you got into filmmaking, you can't exist in an echo chamber. You need somebody you trust that is willing to push you, but is also willing to embrace you. And it's super important to get work done. And I think it's also important to note that we both uh, have a film background. And so that really informs like mm. uh, the content that we did. Was food and culinary always a part of your relationship? It was a huge part of our relationship. Like we've always like cooked for each other. We had a gourmet club for years. And then we were doing a lot of lunches together where we would cook for each other. And then we realized we were maybe putting on too many LBs having like fried pizza for lunch. Like 
<laughs> on a weekday. And I also went to cooking school, the French Culinary Institute, before I started working in production um, and cooked professionally for a while. I moved out here and I was a private chef just wow. to kind of get out here. So you two have been friends for a while, have a shared film background, a shared obsession with food. When did the idea to formalize Hey Sister, which is your production company, come into existence? Well, that's the genius of Karis, the, the, the Hey Sister. Yeah. Before we did that, though, we did the little things for the New York Times. So that was like our first little foray into working together. What were the stories that you wanted to go after and share? So I had started um, doing short branded content for different brands. I did uh, Pepsi Max and I had done something for Gaff Roofing Company, uh, like a couple sure. of other things. And I, I, I kind of wanted to do something creative, something that wasn't like attached to selling something. Sure. And also the world was kind of changing. We both kind of took a pause and we were just kind of waiting for some project that we could really sink our teeth into. And then around that time, um, a friend of ours sent me the cover of this book and, and he said, read this book, it's going to change your life. And the book was high on the hog. Um, and then the rest is history. You know, we both read it and cried and we're just like, ah, this is so big. It's so huge. It needs to be done. So you're making these videos for New York Times, T Magazine, and a friend passes you this book. It's one thing to pick a subject and say, we're going to go shoot on it, which is a much more editorial journalistic approach. It's another thing to go out and license a book. How did you learn about licensing IP? How did you know about the process of finding someone else's words and then taking them to your own and turning it into a different medium? When we read the book, the, the story was so important to us. We were convinced that someone had already optioned it. We thought yeah. this is the most incredible story that we had never heard. And we are both history lovers and food lovers. And we thought... Well, obviously it's option, but we should at least ask. And then when you ask and you actually get a positive response back, you're sort of shocked. And then you panic and think, <laughs> now we have to do this really fast because everyone is probably trying to do this. Oh my God, of course. Because you think it's such a great idea. You're like, why hasn't anyone done it before? Absolutely. Our friend Jeff Gordnier had used it in an article. Shout out, Jeff. Love him. Yeah. He's the best for the yeah. New York Times. So then you think like, oh, well, everyone's definitely read it now. If there is somebody who is looking to license some sort of IP out there, what would you say is your sort of quick summary of what you would recommend people do? I think the first thing to do is is try to find out how to get in touch with the author. Because, you know, when, if you go to the to an agent or if they have an agent, they're going to have their their own sort of parameters of what's acceptable, you know. So you get your yes from the author or whoever it is that's in charge of this IP, and then what? Then you connect with their agent. Yeah. And then you try and make a deal and you say, we, I, we have no money. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have this money. Let's not give away our trade secrets here. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that why we're here? Is that the trade secret? I don't, I don't know if that's a secret anymore. Yeah. <laughs> No one has money. No one has time. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of, you, you, you realize there's like give and take. And, you know, it's like, obviously, we're not looking at bestsellers or, you know, it's like, 
just be open. You know, I mean, it can even be like friends, like, hey, I'm really interested in kind of diving deep into this topic. Does anyone read any books that they've really liked? Mm. Or just do a Google search of like topics that are interesting to you and see what's out there. Yeah. University presses are brilliant. And I think the, I think the problem is sometimes is like going to the publisher, there's no connectivity, you know, right. that and, and I think Fabi and I always say, you know, go straight to the, go straight to the writer because even if they're busy, they, they're probably going to read and enjoy your email more than anyone else's. Yeah. Like if you can talk to the author about like, and I wrote this like really long, lovely letter to Jessica. Um, she emails back and her email was just like, this is the most lovely letter I've gotten. What were some of the things that you said to her? I talked about my culinary background, Karis, you know, we're both like, you know, you know, European and American and felt like we could tell this story, et cetera, et cetera. So bring in an element of like who you are and why this story is important to you. I think like we're all just human beings, yeah. you know, and it's like, how would you want to be talked to if you had something? I think sometimes we, we kind of put people or things sort of outside of our scope. But at the end of the day, like a compliment and a kind word and a kind email to recognize the work that someone's done, it goes a long way. It really does. And there's so much IP out there. Like there's crazy amounts. Like I'm always reading things and thinking like, why, why is, hasn't someone made this? Into, like I never knew about this. You know, to Jeff's credit, he was like, you guys are the right people to do this. Like, this is a much harder lift for me as a white male than it will be for you guys to dig in. In truth, there's a huge gap for stories about African-American, Black history, Black food, involvement in culinary altogether. I know that, Fabi, you were saying that the world was changing. Did this story come into your hands at the right time in order to tell a bigger and better story or fill some gaps that you were seeing? Absolutely. I mean, I think it was, uh, it was shortly after Michael Brown. I have two boys. My sons, you know, are complexioned like myself. And you just kind of go like, what the fuck is going on in this world right now? And, you know, if I'm going to work this hard on something, I really wanted to m mean something. And, and Karis and I had played around with like different ideas of like what that would be. We knew two, one of two things um, when we were optioning the book. Either it was going to happen um, and it was going to be an incredibly difficult and long and hard journey, or it wasn't gonna happen and we were spared that. Having this first IP together, it was really important that it was a passion project. I think that really drove us to sustain all the no's. I think when you when you don't feel anything about what you're doing, the rejection can be really hard. Mm. If we didn't have the passion, I don't know how we would have sustained. Because it was so difficult? Yeah, it was a lot of work. And you, we sat in the room with a lot of people who didn't look like us and thought no one would be interested. And I mean, things have changed a lot in five, six years since we optioned it. And a lot hasn't changed. But I mean, I think when we were pitching it, like the the platforms just weren't there, especially docu-series. Like that's, yeah. you know, seems like it's blown up so much in the past few years. Like. What happened between reaching out to Dr. Harris and reaching out to Netflix? Two years? No. <laughs> no. We probably spent six months with the book because, you know, we weren't, we weren't doing this full time at the time. And we just like did deep reads and processed and like 
had our spreadsheets and wrote down all our favorite quotes and took out all the people's stories that we thought were interesting and Here's and then topic. mapped out there, there's her book. Mine's not as crazy looking as hers, but, but you know. You'll have to send pictures of these books so we yeah. can post them for our listeners. I still have our things that we're still working on. It's like, you know, this yeah. is like our, our boards with like our breakdowns of everything. So we knew everything back and forth when we went in to start breaking it down and trying to figure out how it looked as as um, episodic. Um, yeah. And, and I think once we had, once we had figured that, I mean, there's a little, you know, every, every platform has a different idea of like what they see is how many episodes things are. So we had a seven part series, a six part series, a four part series. There were different like permutations of, of what it could look like, but, but the story was always the same. Yeah. Got it. Like, I think, you know, that's what Fabi's saying about us being overprepared, but like, if you know your stuff back and forth, when you sit in a room with someone Yes. You can talk about it. Yeah. They feel the passion too. Yeah. You got to get people in the room to be like, this is going to happen with or without you. We are going exactly. to make the best show possible. Do you want to come along for the ride? Because we're, exactly. we're we're doing it no matter what. Yeah. There's something about getting to that point where you can put that passion into a room with people that is part of the development and pitching process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, people come to people come to, to me all the time and they're like, well, you listen to my pitch. And it's like the amount of time and putting our pitch together and writing it out and then memorizing it. I mean, and Karis is much better at audio processing than I, <laughs> I am. I was so scared and so nervous. So like recording it on a iPhone slow and then doing pauses. And then I would like <laughs> listen to it and repeat it. And, mm. um, it's, it's a Don't lot. Don't underestimate beta blockers. Yeah. <laughs> Pro tip. It's like, well, can't wear a black shirt to a bitch because it'd be like the sweat stains would be oh, down yeah, to yeah, our yeah. belly. And kind of like you take like these little teeny lessons and you improve on it and improve on it right. and improve on it. At the same time um, that we were pitching, we were also looking because we were like, no one's going to give us the money just to us. You know, honestly, we need to partner with a production company. And then we realized like, oh, we need to bring this other element in there and we had pitched to Netflix, just the two of us, by the, and they didn't pass. So I, I took that as like, they didn't pass. They didn't say yes, but they didn't say no. So we just uh, like- purgatory. <laughs> yeah. A little of that pitch purgatory that we all love. And yeah. And so Adam had dropped enough breadcrumb, breadcrumbs mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. were like, oh, we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to do this. And um, God bless him because our initial pitch was like maybe an hour long. <laughs> Wow. I don't th- I don't think we came up for air. <laughs> exactly. You're listening you're listening to your voice and you're like, "Oh my god, I wish this was like a lot shorter because this is like killing me." <laughs> <laughs> what would you recommend as the ideal time for 30 minutes? Okay. 30 minutes. Okay. 30 I was going to say 10 less. Well, no, I mean your pitch but your pitch should probably be like 20 and then people yeah. should be able to speak. Yeah. Mm, right right you know right. what i mean like you don't want to be talking for half an hour that's crazy uh, but that also comes with you knowing your material yeah, yeah we left no word on the floor like every <laughs> single yeah. 
word of the pitch was like used. Again, you know, it's like we were off the page. We had it like prepared for video. Like we had a printed deck in case the video kind of crapped out. We had like a paper thing. We only had one because we didn't want sure. the executives to be looking at the book, you know. And <laughs> it's like you take all those like teeny, teeny thought out things. Yeah. When I was talking, Karis would turn the page. When she was talking, I would turn the page. Yeah. You know, like, and like, what side do we want to sit on? Which side are you more comfortable <laughs> on? And I mean, like everything. Where do we want to sit in the room? We are a little, we are nuts. <laughs> yeah. I think you're nuts in the right way here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, talking about this, I'm like starting to sweat. We have like a bunch of pitches coming up. I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I, I know you said it was a challenge at the time because you were in a room full of people that would possibly be giving you no's. How much did High on the Hog change from the book you read and your development process to what we see? Well, I mean, Jessica did such a beautiful job of laying out, like, you know, we use the book as a, as a blueprint for the series. You know, in the beginning of each chapter, it talks about the present day, and then you kind of expand the lens out to the history, and you kind of see the relationship that the past has to the present. So we kind of wanted to follow along that same line, and that's what we did. And that's kind of how Karis and I like to work anyway. Um, we really do like, I mean, our, we, we used to tease that our superpower was overpreparedness. So, <laughs> God, may we all be so lucky. How did that take place in your roles as creators in the field? We weren't at every location. We were, we were adamant that we wanted to go to Africa because when we read the book, we envisioned ourselves there and we both speak French and I think no one else on the crew spoke French. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had that going for us. Um, but also it was how the show opened and we wanted to make sure that that was what our vision was for it. And we had our amazing showrunner, Shoshana Guy. She was really, um, she was really great. I mean, uh, she really stuck to the, 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 the narrative and and the outline, and then just kind of expanded on it. We really wanted this history to be accessible to everyone, to be uh, entertaining. We also wanted to look at like the, the realities of systemic racism and slavery. But we also wanted to uh, you know, really shine a light on the resilience and creative artistry that we've had you know, under the worst of friggin' circumstances. And some of those circumstances still exist today, but there's such joy through food and through cooking. And there's so much history that, for lack of a better word, becomes more palatable when you kind of wrap it in this like delicious, deliciousness. Mm. <laughs> yes. You know, if we can create a little bit more empathy, food is a wonderful way to do that. And I know it sounds really trite, you know, Not it's like, oh, food will bring us together. But <laughs> I, I do feel like, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. And, and we hope that Behind the Hog has a little bit of something to do with that in the world. In telling such an important story, but also know that you're making TV, how do you balance the entertainment part of that with the importance culturally, historically, fact-telling to making something engaging? I think Stephen, Roger, obviously, as the director, had a huge amount to do with that. He's a beautiful director and 
tonally all of his stuff has has like he balances a lot of that in every piece he's done and i think the piece has a lot of breathing room in it and we really wanted to have like beats where people could take time um and take things in and then have a little space before we moved on to the next of course there's the dp jerry henry who is amazing and you know i think it's um even though it's a docu-series there's so much cinema that's being yes. brought to it. Like, Absolutely. You know, the rustle of the wind through the, the rice and, you know, there's all these like really beautiful touchstones that I think sometimes, uh, especially if it's a docu-series, people kind of forget about. Um, but one of the other elements I think was really important is that our crew was like, I would say mostly people of color. And I think that makes a really big difference in terms of like people's comfort level and how they end up being much more emotive or feel like it's a much safer space to be expressive. And also there were a lot of women on the crew. Like that's, that's another element, you know, it's, it's like creating a safe space for everyone to be able to say what's honest and true to them. And I think a lot of times when we're filming people, um, they don't have that safe space. The important thing that we wanted to provide as well was there was sort of a baton pass from Dr. Harris to, to Stephen, and we wanted to keep moving the, the narrative like forward so that we're not just looking at history, but that we're really looking at what's happening in the here and now. Mm. You know, Stephen has such a tenderness to him that allows people to share um, that's really unique about him. When we met him, we were just so enamored and engaged with his ability to kind of dive in. Um, and also stand back. He's a he's a different kind of host. You know, a lot of the the people that we have, you know, was as a result of relationships that we had kind of nurtured. And, you know, so we had optioned the book and we had kind of developed and we knew that was going to take a really long time. And Karis one night came to me and she's like, I think we should do a food blog and it's going to give us something to do. You know, we met a lot of people and developed relationships with a lot of the people already as a result of the food blog. So, you know, when we were looking at like episode two that takes place in Charleston, you know, just got on the phone and let's like DM like Gabrielle and said, hey, what are you doing yeah. like, next week? You know, and it was just that sort of immediacy. But I think, you know, all our followers are real people that mm. we actually engaged with and talked to. And I love that. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's it was really amazing. You know, not that all of them came from there, but like a <laughs> lot of them. <laughs> well, also, because otherwise it's like, if you don't, if you don't have a presence online, then we didn't want to be like creepy, like reaching out to people and like, hey, That's me. you know, like. <laughs> this food community is like our community. It's not like, oh, it's just this it's just for high on the hog. It's like, it's just kind of, it's big. It's, it's really us. Talk about the show coming out because the show is something that you gestated for so long and it came out. What happened? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I, so, I know I'm like, I think I barfed in my mouth a little bit. Which is <laughs> I mean, you know, I hate to sound like we, had held the vision for the show mm -hmm. so long and we kind of knew like I mean I hate to say this but we kind of knew that it was going to be kind of re-received 
in the way that it was received. You got to go in there like thinking it's going to be a success. You sure. know, I mean, sometimes that doesn't happen, but like that's kind of the, our attitude that we went into it with. I mean, Ooh. I think when we watched it and cried, we were like, are other people going to cry or are we crazy? Like, it's also, you know, it was finished for a really long time before it came out and then start thinking about like, why haven't they put it out? Like, what are they waiting for? Right. Like, is it going to be the right time? Like, you know, you, you just, I mean, your brain starts exploding with like, with <laughs> the possibilities of like, it should have been now. Why isn't it now? And, and it happened to be the perfect time. They know what they're doing. I mean, Netflix, I have to give them credit. Again, we had the most amazing, uh, team over there. And so, and I think also it's like, you know, as filmmakers and, and I'm, I'm sure there's filmmakers listening to this, it's like, you have to trust the people and trust their process. Um, as filmmakers, you can't, you can't, you can't do it alone. I mean, you can, but that's not the, 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 the path that we're looking at. And I think sometimes, um, people sometimes make a lot of compromises because they think it's going to just work out. And, and, and I think that's like when you have to really dig your heels in and just be like, you know what? No. By the time we shot season one, we had already kind of done a ton of research for season two. So it was kind of nice to be able to not have to kind of go like, oh, wait, what, what happened in the book? You know, we had already kind of lived through mm. it, so to say. Did you know that you guys were going to get a season two? Because I know I listened to some of podcasts you'd done prior to this where you said you had barely been able to scratch like a third of the book when you did season one. We pitched the show as an entire thing from one to eight, and then Netflix greenlit one to four. Mm. So we were hoping that they would come back for the for the second four because the second four is like the sexy, fun stuff. You know, you're like, you know, Black Panthers and civil rights and migration and everything that people can think of and know. Sure. We're so grateful and we really, we treated uh, Jessica's book because it's such a culmination of her life's work. Uh, yeah. you know, as uh, as our newborn, you know, and really took the care and love and attention right. to this really important story. And um, we still feel the same way about it right now. It seems like everything the two of you had been doing on your own already just came together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you were able to replace tasks with tenderness to create a beautiful series. Oh, and, thank you. and here we are. I know. We feel so lucky. We really do. Yeah. We're so yeah. happy. Well, now that you guys have your own acclaim and such wide success, what's next for you? What's next for Hey Sister? We have a couple shows that we're pitching that are that sit in the food space. I guess we should, can't talk about them because they're we have yet to pitch them. Well, one's sort of history and food and another one's another kind of food thing. So we're, we're digging. We're still going to keep digging into that. Um, and actually we have some, we've always wanted to do, um, scripted. So we have a few things that we're trying to do in that, yeah. um, arena too. I mean, I love working with you, Bobby. I love working with you too. <laughs> <laughs> this is so lovely to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, our pleasure. We've gotten to the part of our show called a little takeaway. It's our quick fire challenge. Here we go. Question one. How would you define success? A sense of well-being and fulfillment, whatever that may be. Making something I'm proud of. What would your last meal be? Bobby's last supper is roast chicken. And Karis's is is, uh, clams with linguine. My last supper is roast chicken too, with fried cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) So satisfying. What is your favorite holiday and why? 
I can answer that for Karis. Thanksgiving. She loves Thanksgiving. See, Fabi and I would like it if we were doing the dating game. (laughs) (laughs) We think this isn't quick fire. We think this is the dating game. (laughs) Um, And what do you think mine is? Well, you love raclette. So is it, would it be your Christmas Eve dinner? Yes. <laughs> April, these are uh, partner relationship goals that you and I need to get to. <laughs> what was your best dish and memory on set? Oh, that's easy. Omar Tate's oyster stew in episode three was off the charts. It was so beautiful, creamy. It was like, and it was snowing outside. We were probably crying. Yeah, for sure. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you have received? Be patient. Also, um, listen and always learn. What is the one kitchen item you can't live without? Tongs. Tongs. (laughs) Oh, this really is. This is the newlywed game, isn't it? Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Looking back on your career. What do you think seemed to matter so much in that moment, but now you realize it didn't matter as much? What people thought about me. I don't care anymore. That's the best thing about getting old is you don't give a hoot about what anyone thinks about you. That's true. In a profound, real way. Like, I do not give a rat's ass. (laughs) Well, Karis and Fabian, on that note. What a dismount. What a dismount. What a dismount. How can they get in touch? Where can they follow along? Uh, well, we have our Instagram site, which is hey sister h e y underscore s i s t a h. We're also at heysista.com, h e y s i s t a h dot com. We take all kinds of pitches from people and calls or interviews or whatever. We're 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 an open book ish. <laughs> I love it. We're so happy to have both of you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a joy and such a pleasure. And And congratulations on season two. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for including us. Oh, my God. When we started working on this show, I said we got to get them. They have to be our guests season one. Aww. We we were, are so giddy. We were oh. so giddy. We are so giddy. Oh, we were just, We couldn't believe you said yes to us. And we're so, so pleased. Thank you. Huge fans. Huge fans. There was no other question. We, we love, and we love to chat. So it's all good. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. 
The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. What an incredible conversation that was. Oh my God. Still glowing, still gushing, so inspiring. It is making me want to crack open every food magazine (laughs) and every story written and be like, have I read about the next show I want to make already and just forgot about it? Is there something that I already know about that could be a great idea for the next show? I mean, for me, they are so close. And like, you can see all of that playfulness, that back and forth with them, that it just like- Tongues. Exactly, the tongues. It just, you forget sometimes how important friendships are and that you can bridge the personal and professional. And sometimes it's really necessary. And this is a clear example of that. They cracked me up. It's so great to see how they've backed each other up for so many years and essentially like buoyed each other in these huge production projects. Yeah, I think part of what I love about this episode and and part I love about the series in general is there are people behind these shows. Yes. There are friendships behind these shows, the relationships. And when you work with someone long enough and you're on a show long enough, life happens around it. Yeah. And so to see this friendship, this long enduring friendship, which I think is at the core of their partnership. It's really empowering. And not only that, something to really make something beautiful and to celebrate it with somebody. And just like we say about recipes, like Mm -hmm. there are so many people that say when they make a recipe, the the secret ingredient is love. It is the same thing with production. Like when we're storytelling and you're pushing this out there, especially with culinary stories, we are infusing it with love. And if that's the base of this relationship, their passion for it, their passion for each other, the support, their actual belief systems and values being shared – that's going to come through. And I think that really helped, you know, set along the success for this series. Yeah. They found something that was passionate to them in a book that was a decade old. And they wrote a letter to the author who they didn't know and said, please trust us to take your vision. Yes. And let us tell your story through a different medium. And people have never been more accessible these days. You can get in touch with authors. You can get in touch with people you never know. You never know. Absolutely. You know? Right. She wrote her a handwritten letter. That's how they got the show. Come on. That's incredible. A little bit goes a long way. And I think that's really important when you're looking at business. It's not all completely novel. Like you're searching for spaces that need to be filled in a true, authentic way. Like when you feel like, how does everyone not know about this? And you feel that like power in your gut, like go out there and convince Convince the person that owns the IP because that's going to be your first step in convincing the slew of other people that this project needs to be made. And that passion is what's going to fuel it. I love it. Just because it already exists doesn't mean there isn't new life that can be breathed into it. Yeah. A theme a theme that I felt repeated several times in this episode is research. Mm. Research those spaces that need to be filled. Research that intellectual property that's already out there. But also once you get it, research that story inside and out so that you know how you want to build it, that no matter what changes, you have done enough research that you could switch that whole thing up at the drop of a hat. You can go any direction with that story. You can talk to anyone about it. Yes. And to know that networks and there are people out there who are buying shows who want these stories, that's really, really inspiring. And it takes a lot of work, but start digging. (laughs) Start, Start digging. Start looking. Yeah. It is very daunting and you go through imposter syndrome and you start to say, how am I going to pull it off? And where you start to pull it off is you just start doing the research. You just start becoming an expert. Yeah. 
Well, listen, April, it is always a pleasure. This one, I mean, look, they're all inspiring, but this one really just made me want to dig back in. It's just a great way to just look at the community and the food community that you're a part of wherever you are in the world. Build the relationships, plant the seeds for the work you really want to see and that you really want to do out in the world. And see what stories you want to tell. So add your questions, give us your feedback, smash that subscribe button, give us five stars if you feel so inclined. And uh, thank you to Heritage Radio Network for your continued support. And we'll see you next time on the Culinary Call Sheet. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.